1: This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Review Radio, we will be talking with scientists about the intersection of faith and science. Our first guest today is Michael Menzel, NASA Mission Systems Engineer for the James Webb Space Telescope at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. The Webb Telescope was launched in December 2021. Mike is also a parishioner of St. John the Evangelist Parish in Frederick, Maryland. Welcome to the show. Thank you. First off, can we talk a little bit about that magnificent achievement of the James Webb Space Telescope? What was it like for you to have worked on this for so many years and finally see it launched and go into operation?
2: Well, during the launch, which was Christmas Day, it turned out, uh, most of us, I guess the, um, the magnitude of it didn't hit us because we knew that for the next 14 or 20 days, we still had a lot of challenges ahead of us. But I got to confess, after we uh, after we deployed it on orbit and after everything went so smoothly, when I went back and I looked at the films of the launch, I kind of you know the uh, the magnitude of it hit me. And I was uh, both relieved and gratified that you know about twenty four years of my life ended up being uh, so far successful.
1: That's awesome. What's the connection between study of the universe through projects such as the James Webb Space Telescope and life on Earth? How does what you learn out there, help us down here? It's, it's often
2: hard to say, you know, because uh, pure research, you never know where it's going to go. But the, the one thing that, that, that is, is obvious is, you know, one of our gifts, uh, one of the gifts the human race has is the compulsion to explore and the compulsion to ask questions. So, you know, one of the questions we've asked ourselves, you know, from the almost our beginning of, of, of social consciousness is, where did we come from? Where are we going? Um, You know, uh, are we alone? And something like James Webb puts us on the precipice of answering some of those questions. So, you know, you never really know where pure research takes you, but you do know that it's a gift to the human race to perform pure pure research and that if history is any teacher, it will lead to a benefit for mankind.
1: That innate curiosity that we have as humans, that's got to be something that came from outside. I mean, it, it, it didn't ooze from the primordial swamp, that intelligence, that curiosity. How do you work with that curiosity every day? I mean, you you say you've been working on this project for 24 years. How do you move from step to step to step and say, what's the next way I, I solve this problem?
2: Well, you know, it, it depends. Actually, it, it depends on the nature of the problem. Uh, I've always been interested in math and science and, and, and engineering. So it. You know, it's a gift. And I, I consider myself extremely lucky to have had these opportunities. And, and as for, you know, how I solve the problem, well, you know, I, I really you just end up focusing on the problem. I, I don't know if uh, I could really give a, a, a standard methodology other than to say that, you know, when, when you're faced with the challenge, it, I'm the type where it, when I don't get the answer right away, it starts to bug me. <laughs> And that makes me a little mad and that makes me focused and that just makes me want to find the answer. So, But the the one thing that kept us all on this team focused is we did realize the magnitude of the questions that we were trying to answer and that the scientists were trying to answer and that, you know, to dedicate 24 years of your career, which for some of us is half our careers or maybe more, you know, we do so knowing that, hey, this is worth it. This is, you know, our names will not go down in history. We know that. But the products from this telescope will go down in history. So we all feel like by concentrating on these problems, we're doing our part. We're pitching in. You know, we're not sitting on the backside watching other people do it. We're contributing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you hope to learn about the universe from this telescope? You and I talked a while back, and you talked about detecting spectrum of light passing in front of stars. I mean, Talk to us a little bit about how that process works and what you learned from it.
2: Well, you know, um, first, uh, there were originally four science objectives to this. The first one was to see the very first stars and galaxies that turned on in the universe after the Big Bang. Right. So we wanted to build a telescope that would see those very, very first primordial galaxies. Then we wanted to see how those galaxies evolved over cosmic time into into the kind of galaxies that we see today, like the Milky Way. We want to see how stars and solar systems are born, how, they, how they're formed. And then um, over the past you know, 14, almost 20 years, we have discovered up to 4,000 planets around other stars. So now it just turns out, luckily, James Webb should have the capability of doing detailed examination of those exoplanets to see if there are biomarkers on them. And a biomarker is a chemical or an element That's either formed by life or there that could support life. So you know, as I say, uh, we're on the precipice of answering two of the fundamental questions man has had: Uh, How did it all start? How was creation implemented? And then finally, are you know, are we alone? Well, we're not going to answer that one, but we'll take the first step to say, you know, are we alone? Is there good evidence that there's other other life out there?
1: Or other planets that could support life if if that were, you know, if that were, were to happen.
2: That's correct.
1: That's awesome. As a person of faith, how do you combine your faith in God and what the church teaches about the hard sciences? Is there a conflict or are they complementary?
2: There's no conflict in my mind at all. Now, I'm talking now as Mike Menzel, not as, as a NASA engineer. Uh-huh. And I've got to be very careful about this. But to answer your question, uh, you know, I... I I'm a Catholic and, uh, you know, I, I practice my faith best, best that I can. And uh, I take it as a, as an axiom, as a given that, you know, there was a creation, God did, he created the universe, but we're, we're trying to figure out how he did it. Right. And, and, and the search for the truth and the search of how, how he did it, you know, is uh, it, it, I find no conflict in that at all. In fact, I think that, you know, with the gifts he's given us to not ask these questions is actually blasphemous. You can't be given the kind of gift of, of exploration and and to seek the truth and just sit by and say, well, I'm going to I'm just going to believe literally a text that was written some 4000 years ago. And that's good enough for me. You know, he mm-hmm. I don't think that that would have been a good use of the gifts he gave us. And you know, even scripturally, you can find the passages where he says, uh, if I give you a gift and you don't use it, there's a problem there.
1: That's right. How far back in time, essentially, does the James Webb telescope allow you to look? I mean, how far are these, how far away are these stars that you're seeing? The
2: uh, the, the first galaxies are believed to have been started, theoretically, probably about 13.5 billion years ago. So somewhere between 13.7 and 13.5 billion years ago. And how far back we see... Will in part depend on how bright these first things really were. If they're very bright, we could see uh, quite quite a ways into the distance. But well, we've designed this thing to uh, to see objects that could be as far as thirteen point five billion light years or a billion years away from us.
1: Wow, that's phenomenal. And and how do you develop that kind of technology. I mean, you've been working on it for 24 years, so you can't give that in a minute. But yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you look for when you try to create something that will help us see the universe?
2: Well, you know, it's really much easier than you may, may think. Um, if you want to see something dim, you build a telescope that's very, very big, particularly in its width. Because you can think of a telescope as putting a bucket out in the rain. The rain is the rain of light that's coming down on you. If you wanna collect a lot of rain, a lot of water, you make the bucket wide, it'll collect a lot of water. If you wanna see things that are very, very dim, make the telescope very wide, very big. So we calculated and we said, hey, if we make a telescope about six and a half meters in diameter, we should be able to see these very faint photons coming to us. In fact, there's telescopes on the earth bigger than that. The biggest telescope on the earth is 10 meters. But unfortunately, those telescopes live under an ocean of air that ends up absorbing and stealing about half the photons that are raining down on us. So we knew that by making a six meter telescope and putting it outside the atmosphere in space, we had a we had a chance of seeing these things.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you look at at some of the things that are up on mountains, you know, Mount Graham in in Arizona, for one, uh, houses a lot of telescopes. They're up higher. So they're not as much atmosphere and not as much light pollution, right. but there's still stuff in the way, really. So that's phenomenal. When you look at, at what you're trying to do with James Webb and you look at what we're doing here on earth, how do you hope that we learn as a people from this? Obviously you and your, your fellow scientists are gonna crunch this data, but do you hope that though the rest of us who aren't involved in that every day just wonder and, and are curious and are interested in what you learn?
2: Oh, most definitely, because uh, the people paid for this telescope. Right. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't, this isn't something that, uh, you know, that is for the scientists. Uh, NASA is a public organization. It comes from public money. You, uh, We have the obligation to make sure that, that you not only understand our results, but, you know, folks like me believe we're obligated to make sure you get enthused about it that you understand what your tax dollars paid for. And you pay, you know, it, it's people are always throwing their cost up to me and it, it, it's, you know, $9 billion is nothing to sneeze at. I understand that. But given the questions that we are trying to answer and given the nature of them, they really should, and they hopefully will inspire just the common guy on the street to say, you know, oh my God, look at this. I'm seeing something that existed before the earth was even formed before, you know, you're at this four and a half billion years old. This is almost three times older.
1: Yeah. And I think whenever we look at the sky at night and we see what's up there, we, it has to cause us to wonder what's out there. And so I, I'm grateful that, that we have things like the Hubble's telescope before this, the James Webb telescope now to help us see better what's out there. Well, we've been talking today with Michael Menzel, NASA mission systems engineer for the James Webb Space Telescope at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt. Thanks so much, Mike, for sharing your insights.
2: Chris, thank you for having me.
1: After the break, we're going to talk with two leaders of the Society of Catholic Scientists to get their perspective on this question. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio.
4: Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Despite economic challenges brought on by the coronavirus pandemic and high inflation, Catholic high schools in the Archdiocese of Baltimore have kept their tuition rates relatively stable and remain significantly more affordable than other area private schools. According to an annual tuition survey by the Catholic Review, Catholic high schools in the archdiocese that charge traditional tuition currently have an average tuition of $16,950. That represents only a 1.4% increase from the previous academic year's average tuition. Non-Catholic private schools currently charge an average of $30,260, about 79% higher than what Catholic high schools charge on average. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. The Ascension St. Agnes COVID-19 Vaccination Team and Health Institute in southwest Baltimore has administered 30,000 COVID-19 vaccinations from December 17, 2020 to January 2022 Baltimore residents, including first responders, the elderly, people with chronic diseases, and members of the African American, Latino, and Korean communities, received one or both shots and or a booster from Ascension St. Agnes. Partnerships with the Archdiocese of Baltimore and other numerous community organizations were key to providing health care access to the community and overcoming vaccination hesitancy, according to hospital representatives. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. For the second time in 10 months, the St. Francis Academy community is mourning the death of a player from its nationally renowned football team. Lamar Patterson, a junior, died February 2nd in a car crash, reportedly while driving to school. In April, Aaron Wilson, a 17 year old senior, died of brain cancer. Patterson, a 5 foot 10, 182 pound cornerback and wide receiver, was rated as a three star recruit nationally by online recruiting services. For more on this story, visit CatholicReview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks.
5: Every child enters the world with limitless potential, potential of mind. Potential of body, potential of spirit. If there was only a place where that potential could be nurtured and challenged every day, where the limits of greatness, once unseen, could now be within reach, Catholic schools rise above.
0: This is Archbishop William-Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and we are continuing our discussion about the intersection of faith and science. Our guest in the first segment was NASA engineer Michael Menzel. With us now are Stephen Barr and Matthew Wiesner, who are members of the Society of Catholic Scientists. Steve Barr is president of the Society of Catholic Scientists as Professor Emeritus in the Department of Physics and Astronomy of the University of Delaware and former director of its Bartol Research Institute. He does research in theoretical particle physics. Matt Wiesner is an assistant professor of physics at Benedictine University in Lyle, Illinois. He does research in observational astrophysics including studying gravitational lensing and optical transients, which I don't really know what those are. (laughs) He is a member of the Legacy Survey of Space and Time Dark Energy Science Collaboration and is chair of the Social Media Committee for the Society of Catholic Scientists. Welcome to the show, Steve and Matt.
3: Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much.
1: Well, I have to say between the two of you and Mike Menzel, this is probably one of the smartest set of guests we've ever had on the show. So I'm gonna ask you the same question that I asked, that I posed to Mike who worked for 24 years on the James Webb Space Telescope, which just launched in December. As people of faith, how do you combine your faith in God and what our church teaches with the hard
3: sciences? Is there a conflict or are they complementary? Steve, let's start with you. Uh, they not, there's no conflict. In fact, I would say that uh, faith and uh, science are really rooted in many of the same things, such as a sense of wonder, at the world and uh, also the, the idea that uh, everything makes sense. And uh, so both our faith and, and science are ways of, of making sense of the world.
1: Matt, how about you? How would you answer that?
3: I see no conflict
5: whatsoever between them. I like to think of what uh, Father Georges Lemaitre used to say. You know, he was the discoverer of the Big Bang. He used to say there's two paths to truth and I pursued them both. I find that very inspirational, that there's two separate ways of knowing, and as a Catholic scientist, we hope to pursue them, them both.
1: Mm-hmm. The Society of Catholic Scientists was formed not all that long ago, in June 2016. What does the society do, and why was there a need to form such an organization?
3: This is Steve. Uh, uh, there were several reasons we formed it. One was to for fellowship among Catholic scientists, Uh, but also to publicly witness to the harmony between uh, faith and science. There's this widespread misperception that they're somehow at odds and uh, scientists who are atheists have been very outspoken over the years. Uh, Religious scientists have been less outspoken. So we're trying to uh, compensate for that. We're trying to show the world, look, there are many thousands of us out there who are devout Catholics and uh, and also uh, professional scientists. And do
1: you find that this, uh, that being part of this organization helps you communicate well with other other Catholic scientists about the kind of things you're studying and about the struggles you're you're having within that?
3: Matt, why don't you take that one? Yeah, I would say
5: that it is. I was lucky to be able to find out about the Society of Catholic Scientists early on and join, and it has been really a godsend in that. It's helped me to connect with Catholic scientists I never would have been able to find otherwise. So at the yearly meetings, I've been able to meet people from in my field or in different fields that are Catholic scientists. Uh, It's also given a a real impetus to try to build up a community of Catholic scientists locally. Uh, So the Society of Catholic Scientists initiated a tradition of what are called gold masses in the tradition of masses for a particular profession. Mm-hmm. And we've uh, had three, uh, in three sequential years, we've had three gold masses at Benedictine University. And it's a really nice opportunity to bring the community in, to bring students in, to have a mass that's said for scientists. Uh, and then oftentimes we'll have a talk on science after that. So it's a really a good way to celebrate our faith as scientists and to help to build that community.
1: Steve, as president, you probably you know, are kind of involved in a lot of the details. Where do you pull your members from? Are they all uh, in, in academia? Are they in the hard sciences? Are they kind of out in research and development? Where, where do you get folks from?
3: Well, it's a, we're, it's a mixture, actually. We have scientists who are in the academic world, you know, professors at universities, uh, also working in the, uh, government labs, or private labs. We have many fields of science. They're all in the natural sciences as opposed to the social sciences. Mm -hmm. Though we also have fields that might not be considered natural science like mathematics, uh, computer science, but there's a vast range of uh, fields of science that are represented in our organization.
1: As professors, do you often encounter students who are atheists or who don't see that supernatural and the spiritual aspects of creation? In my experience, the most common
5: thing I encounter is people that have never thought about the question. Oh, okay. So I I don't really, especially teaching at a Catholic university, I don't get a lot of students who are actively opposed or who are outspoken atheists. The majority of them uh, simply haven't really thought too much about the question. And they kind of assumed that there was a battle between science and faith because they heard it somewhere, but they haven't really pursued it very much. And so it does give an opportunity to bring it up, to talk about how most scientists in history were people of faith, and that the, this battle between science and faith is a manufactured idea. It's not, a, not even a real thing, but it offers us an opportunity to bring it up, which I appreciate.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't even understand that the the Vatican has the Pontifical Academy for Sciences. There's the Vatican Observatory that does some of the best work in the world uh, that is that is related to the cosmos. So when you look at those kinds of things, you think, what are you talking about when there's you know, the, the faith and science don't mix? They sure do. So how do you teach the next generation of scientists and explorers to be open to new ideas in general?
5: So I I don't think there's... I think that's really what education has been doing for a long time, just getting these ideas out there, uh, making sure that students can learn uh, what the, at the forefront of their field. Uh, I think the big thing that we would do in the context of the Society of Catholic Scientists is just to get that message out there that there's no reason you can't do both. And it's a, in certain places, people perhaps are more uncomfortable talking about their faith if you work in say a secular university or in a national lab, it might be that you hesitate to bring it, bring up the question. You're gonna be really focused on your science. You may be a person of faith, but you're not gonna feel as comfortable speaking uh, openly. And this gives a context, especially at the meetings at gold masses and such to feel free to feel more like an environment where you can bring up the issue. Uh, I think that's an important lesson for younger, for aspiring scientists to learn is that they can do, they can pursue both paths and that they can unapologetically be an excellent scientist doing the best science in their field. And at the same time being a, a person of devout faith. There's, there's no conflict whatsoever. And many people before them have done it very successfully.
1: So what are the goals of the Society of Catholic Scientists and, and how can people get more information about
3: what you do? Well, the goals uh, are fourfold. Um, There, first of all, to be a a, uh, a forum for discussion of the Catholic faith and science. It's a witness to the world, uh, to the harmony of faith and science. It's a uh, place where Catholic scientists can uh, build up uh, a community fellowship, both intellectual and spiritual fellowship with each other. And and it's uh, to be an educational resource to the public, including journalists, uh, teachers, students, uh, the general public, uh, on uh, faith science questions. So we have, uh, we're in a way answering a call of Pope St. John Paul II, who said that science, Catholic scientists have uh, could play a special role uh, in helping people to integrate, as he said, the worlds of science and the world of faith in their intellectual and spiritual lives. So we, we want to help people integrate uh, the scientific perspective with their uh, perspective as believing Catholics.
1: And where do people get more information about the society?
3: Well, we have a website that uh, has a lot of information on it, uh, a lot of educational material. It's, uh, it's called, it, well, the uh, address is Catholic Scientists, plural, CatholicScientists.org. The well known uh, Catholic theologian George Weigel uh, has written that our website is, as he put it, a treasure trove of educational material on, uh, on the relation of the Catholic faith to science. And we encourage teachers and students and just Catholics in general to go to the site. There's a lot of, very we think, very interesting material there that will be helpful to them.
1: George is a good friend of ours. He's been on the show a number of times, so good to know. All right. Well, thank you so much. Our guests this segment have been Stephen Barr and Matthew Wiesner, who are scientists and members of the Society of Catholic Scientists. Thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Thank you for having us on. Thank you.
1: Thanks. This is Chris Gunty, and you have been listening to Catholic Review Radio.
0: The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text Media to 84576.
2: Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org.
1: Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.